Building trust is a process. Trust results from consistent and predictable interaction over time. I'm Ryan Becker, Director Advisor Engagement with CI's Advisor Consulting Practice Management Team. And welcome to Consulting Insights. Today on the podcast, we're going to dive into a component of the client-focused reforms that has in fact still been resulting in questions that have been coming in from advisors as they navigate the integration and refine some of their processes. And what's the part that we're going to be focusing on? Well, it's the new know your product rules. So we are going to try to provide some practical thoughts from a practice management perspective. And my co-pilot for the conversation today will be none other than Bruno DePace, Director of Campaigns. Welcome back to the Consulting Insights Podcast, Bruno. Thanks, Ryan. It's great to be with you again, and thanks for having me. You're, you're welcome. It's not going to be the last. Um, I'm going to tap you on the shoulder again, but hopefully not. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, you don't enjoy this. I always have a good time. But um, sure. <laughs> as I mentioned, we're going to be focused on the Know Your Product component or KYP. And, and for those of our listeners who do want some more broad-based content around client-focused reforms, the two of us, in fact, did do an episode a little while ago that touches on a lot of the aspects of client-focused reforms, and it's called Client-Focused Reforms, Finding the Opportunity Within, in case anyone wants to take a look at the library and find that one. But let's get this off the top for our conversation today, because each firm is different in terms of guidance and requirements and, and tools that they have and, and support. So anything that we discuss today, first and foremost, needs to adhere to your specific firm's guidelines. And for that matter, what we're going to be discussing is solely from a practice management perspective. I totally agree. Uh, you know, I mean, our expertise is practice, practice management, so we need to stick to our knitting. Yeah. So that's what we will try to do. Um, and I do want to go back to the top where I started with a quote, and the quote was from Barbara M. White. Um, the quote is, building trust is a process, and trust results from consistent and predictable interaction over time. And for those of you that aren't aware, Barbara M. White was an ambassador and a president of Mills College. Now, the quote, I think, encapsulates and articulates how even though KYP is work, that it can result in deeper trust and be a win-win for you and your clients. Because part of CFR is about moving to a relationship that's built on smart trust. And that smart trust provides clients with an abundance of information. And that information can be used to confirm the benefits of your recommendations and, and strategies. And implementing a process that allows for some of that consistency and scalability within your book with your clients is a great byproduct of being thoughtful in the work that you're doing to create or even, even refine your, your KYP process. I would just add that the opposite of smart trust is blind trust, which is based on authority. And I'm sure you'd agree, Ryan, that in our, in our culture, we are taught not to question authority, which means that many clients may simply be afraid to ask for more information from their advisor who they view as that authority. It's a, it's a good point, And thank you for providing the flip side of, of, of what I was talking there, because, you know, when you pose it that way, clients may in fact be afraid to ask more information or you just even feel socially that they're not supposed to, um, even when, because they, they feel like maybe they're questioning your authority. So I, I can see why that mindset shift is, is important and why that, you know, that trust component is, is important. So why don't we dive in and just do a brief refresher around what the KYP rule even is? 
All right, the KYP rule. Well, if it's okay with you, Ryan, I'm actually just going to read it right out of the textbook because I don't want to misquote or omit anything that's really important. So here it is. The new KYP obligation requires registered firms to take reasonable steps to understand any securities that are purchased and sold for or recommended to their clients. This includes the structure, features, and risks and initial and ongoing costs and their impact. Registered firms are expected to have policies, procedures, and controls in place to appropriately assess, approve, and monitor all securities made available to clients. Investors should fully expect that the advisor should be able to explain in adequate detail and in language that everyone can understand the features and risks of the security they are recommending. Now, just to be clear, Mm-hmm. This part of the rule isn't just a quantitative screening exercise. It's about providing the client with a better overall understanding of the rationale behind your recommendation based on your investment strategy and philosophy. And all of that needs to be documented. So it's on record to show that you have fully satisfied the requirement. So thank you for reading the the rule again as, as the refresher. And thank you for the recap and the summary that you give there and some of the, the points that you mentioned, because I do think that it is really important. Um, and one of the conversations that I've had with advisors as well is, is that that end piece that you're talking about there, where creating portfolios, creating these pieces is absolutely a bit art and a bit science. And we've worked with and seen advisors that, that look at, you know, qualitative and then blend in quantitative to build some really, you know, good processes and pieces as to how they're building this out. So if you're starting out on this journey and trying to create a KYP process, where would you start? Well, I think first and foremost, um, you want to try and make, all of this, these new rules and, and, and regulations, a win-win for you and for your clients. And you can do that by creating a selection of needs-based portfolio models that are both scalable and repeatable. Now that's going to you know, make it more efficient for you as the advisor, and it's, it's gonna lead to better outcomes for your clients, which is exactly what the regulators expect to achieve with KYP. Mm-hmm. Now I talked about models. You know, if you're not familiar with models, it's basically a strategic way to set up a portfolio to meet specific investment objectives. Mm-hmm. However, your models are going to be dependent on your philosophy as well as the platform that you use and the investments that you're licensed to sell. For example, individual stocks, mutual funds, ETFs, as well as managed products and alternative products. There are different approaches that you can take in terms of your investment philosophy. For example, you can take a goals-based approach to build your models where you're creating a portfolio to meet a specific future goal. Or you can come at it from a more fundamental approach where you focus on asset allocation and risk tolerance to try and achieve the best risk-adjusted returns. Now, this last approach is the complete opposite to portfolio models that are configured to try and achieve targeted returns, which tend to 
increase the client's risk and can potentially lead to bad outcomes. There are other things that you need to consider, like your investment philosophy based on your own experience or the resources that are available to you from your dealer or partners. But perhaps the most important is what efficiencies do you want or do you need to create in order to achieve your business goals? There's so much that you just walked through there, you know, needs-based, scalable, repeatable, your, your philosophy. And, and you, you know, we're not advocating for one of these approaches or not, because this isn't our wheelhouse. This isn't something that, that we navigate. And there's a lot of partners that you can work with to, to make this really strong with, with what you're creating. Um, but the, I think what it does or what you walk through there is just show a lot of the considerations as you're building this. And we have heard a lot of approaches that individuals are, are working through when it comes to KYP, but how many models maybe would you start looking off at? Well, I think the main thing is to create a baseline for your most okay. common scenarios and start with, let's say, client risk factors like risk tolerance and risk capacity. And we tend to find that three to five models work as a starting point to satisfy most client profiles. And then you can build out from there to try and meet other types of clients' needs. For example, you might want to create some additional models that would satisfy your more sophisticated clients. Yeah, the, you know, three to five makes sense and you can scale up or scale down based on your book. And, and one of the things that you did mention there that I do want to just highlight is, is what you mentioned around risk tolerance and risk capacity, because these reforms have formalized that and ensuring that you consider not only the risk tolerance component, but also the risk capacity and, and then taking the lower of the two. So three to five models gives us a good work starting point, a good baseline, potentially depending on your business. And then you personalize to client situations from there. So we've essentially, I think, laid the foundation for your models and your process, but what's next? What's the next step that I want to consider? Well, the next step, the next step is product selection. Okay. And you can basically view this part of the process as a funnel. And at the top of the funnel is your firm's approved product list. Okay. So um, I'm sorry for cutting you off there, but I, I no, do want to, no <laughs> I, I do want to stop and clarify because what you just mentioned is the point um, that has created a couple questions that have come in, which is around approved list is not recommended list. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. The approved list is the universe of securities that would be available to an advisor from their dealer, whereas the recommended list is something altogether different. Now, here is something you need to consider. If you do have access to more products other than the products that are on the recommended list, mm -hmm. you probably have a responsibility under KYP to also consider those products and do your own due diligence on them. Okay. And Thanks for that, because I do think it is an important distinction between the two rec lists and, and approved lists. But so we, we start with the, the approved list or, or the universe of available options for me, depending on my platform and my firm. And, and then, then where am I going? Well, the next step is to create screens using the analytical tools that are available to you. And you may have some tools available to you through your, uh, your dealer. Mm -hmm. You can use these tools to filter for 
quantitative criteria like price and performance and risk. And then once you have your list, you can apply your qualitative criteria that we talked about earlier. And, and, and that makes sense. And I think as soon as you say something like screens, people immediately think of the quantitative side. But the point that you bring up at the end is, you know, also incorporating that qualitative component to, to your picking and your philosophies. And it makes sense because, you know, both of these are dependent then on your personalized experience and what you're bringing into this and what you look for and then what goes into the equation. And, and part of this could be then, you know, making sure that you document the qualitative and quantitative networks, metrics, I should say, that, that you consider, you know, what you're looking for when it comes to them and then why you consider them important when it comes to your process. And, and, in the future, you can look to review this because those things are going to change or, or potentially could change. But, but back to my model creation, I've now narrowed down some potential options. So now I can incorporate them into my models. Is, is that all I need to do or? Not quite. Okay. Now, KYP also dictates that you need to provide clients with a list of alternative products that were included as part of your analysis when you came up with your recommendation. Now, the, this product uh, or this list of alternatives mm -hmm. are products that you would be equally comfortable recommending to your clients. Mm -hmm. And they can become, you know, this list can become your backup plan if something were to happen to your preferred product recommendation, uh, because maybe, you know, it's no longer available or, or it's no longer viable. Mm -hmm. Now, in this so, area, there's, well, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Continue. Yeah, there, in this area, there's no, there's no specific guidelines for the number of alternative products that need to be considered, but some dealers may have uh, specific requirements around this. So you should check with your dealer on this particular point. But barring that, our recommendation is three to five product alternatives as a maximum so that it's more manageable. That's what I was going to jump in and ask about. Was it like, is there... I anticipated your, yeah. your question. <laughs> so, sorry about that. But um, so, so now I, I've kind of got that and I can build out my allocations within my models and then, then apply to my client base. How, uh, however, I'm ultimately going to need to then personalize for client situation. And it, maybe it's a situation where you've got a, uh, an individual stock in your model and you've got a client that's a, a, an employee of that firm and they're already overweight that. So a good example where you might need to use an alternative choice um, or have those built out for, for those client situations. Exactly. And now that you've identified the products that you're going to include in your models, then mm -hmm. you have to define your process for monitoring and, and providing ongoing due diligence. Now, this monitoring and, and ongoing due diligence is, is just what it says. It's, it's, it's ongoing and it's not a one and done. And, and I hear it is things about, you know, documenting things like wholesaler meetings, uh, analyst meetings, um, attended a portfolio manager call or a webinar and, and creating some form of formalized process of, of looking at your models and, and products, maybe on set intervals, maybe it's, you know, quarterly or, or semi-annually and, and, and then the reevaluation universe as well. And looking at that to see if you need to make potentially any changes. Um, now, what about a change that may arise today, a change that you might need to make to, to what you've got yeah, as far as changes, uh, you need to have a strategy to ensure that you're on top of any significant product changes. 
Um, and you need to sort of define what you're what you will do if there is a material change. Okay. So if there is a material change, you know, these are some things that you have to consider. That, you know, what are the consequences on the client's financial outcomes? Um, but before you do anything, like you know, deciding to change the product entirely or and then you know in uh, transferring in some money into that product, you really have to do a thorough analysis and and document you know everything that you've gathered. From there, depending on what you find, you can either move to one of your alternative products on your alternatives list or continue using the core product as is. So if it's feasible, then you could essentially put that product on a hold and, and wait until you've gone through your, um, through your analysis and, and documenting yes. that. And, yes, definitely. And, exactly. and it, it is then essentially like institutionalizing your approach and, and some firms have, you know, there's tools that are out there, but one, one that I know that's available to really anyone that, that I've talked about with, with individuals is just Google alerts and, you know, potentially just setting up a Google alert on your core product. So that way, if there's a press release, if there's an article, if there's a commentary, if there's a quote, um, it, it hits your inbox and then you can keep it as part of your records. You can file it away however you need as, as part of your due diligence process. So, so just an idea to, to those that are listening. Um, so now we've got our process. We've got some semblance of our models and we've got something around our ongoing due diligence process and our ongoing reviews. But, but now you've created this process it it wasn't created in a vacuum so simply picking products and then implementing them isn't something that really can happen because if you've you've never gone through this then you need to be considering existing accounts and products and how you actually implement and make some of these changes and what's important here is that you have a plan that you're following that keeps the end goal in mind but takes into account client best interests along the way so as as long as you've documented those overall objectives and the steps that you're taking, then, then hopefully you're moving forward in a good standing. But how, how would I then maybe even formalize this process even further or formalize the process for myself? Yeah, it's, it's not something that you just want to have in your head. I mean, I'd strongly encourage all advisors to write out their process in full, you know, so that it's thorough and complete and, and, and thought mm -hmm. through. And I would even suggest creating a folder where you can keep all the documents that support your KYP due diligence. Hmm. Now, here's some, some questions that you want to ask yourself in terms of, you know, when you're, when you're formalizing this, this process. How are you determining your client's risk profile? What criteria are you using to select your products? How often are you reviewing your product selection? And mm. what is your process for discussing investments with your clients? Mm. And then you also want to, you know, once you have your process written um, and formalized, you want to ensure that you share it with your team and any other critical partners that you work with and have them commit to the process and even hold you accountable. If Possible, you might also want to leverage whoever you can. And I'd even consider looping in your, your wholesaler uh, into the process and setting up a cadence for how often you want to meet with them to review products. Finally, it's important that you revisit this process on a semi-annual or annual basis to ensure that it's running smoothly. You might find that there are things that you built into the process that you don't actually need anymore or that are bogging you down, or maybe there's some gaps that need to be filled. 
a lot of things that you mentioned there that I, that I like and are really good takeaways. You know, the fact of even finding some of the things that are bogging you down, you know, articulating and writing down the process can help you identify and be more efficient in what you've done. And, you know, the question that you mentioned off the top, what is your process for discussing investment solutions with your clients? I think that that's a really important one as well. And, and one of the other things that you mentioned that I like is, you know, incorporating and communicating your process to your wholesalers and, and helping them understand how better to support you and what you're looking for and, and what to be providing to them that's going to mesh with, with what you're doing. But it does sound to me like one of the most important takeaways is that it isn't just a set it and forget it approach. I think you mentioned that even prior and used that phrase, but you know, your KYP due diligence should be an ongoing and ongoingly refined component to your business. If you set it and forget it, Ryan, that's going to be problematic at some point down the road. Yeah, I, I, I wholeheartedly agree there. And now that I've created or maybe I've, been, I've looked and modified and refined my process, the, the next communication component in my mind is communication and communicating it to your clients. Um, maybe for new clients, it's considering a way to incorporate this into your ongoing process or your onboarding or onboarding process, I should say, maybe using a visual or a written document that outlines what you've done. You could create even a high level version for this that goes on your website or maybe a video explainer that you have that goes on your website or that you send to clients. Um, for existing clients, it, it's giving them a walkthrough as a refresher and, and saying that when you're going through the process or redefining what you're, you've put down here and you want them to be aware of what it looks like for them from a client perspective. Absolutely. You want to make sure that you know, you're walking your clients through your process or refreshing them on a regular basis because clients forget you know, but more importantly, they, they don't understand, you know, all of the technical terms that we tend to throw around in our industry and the things that we would, you know, we would take for granted. And, uh, you know, it is, is not second nature to them. I wholeheartedly agree. We, we are inundated with shorthand and jargon in our industry, and it does sound foreign to clients in a lot of cases. And one of the things that, that I find valuable when it comes to this and really other aspects of the business as well is that even having somebody that's outside the industry feedbacking how you're communicating with your clients or even some of the visuals or tools that you're using to, to communicate, because even if they have absolutely no insight around what you're doing, that's even potentially better because they see it with a completely fresh set of eyes um, and they help you improve how you're going to explain this and show you some of those pitfalls and ways to, to, to change it up. And yeah, it, you know, you, you do maybe have to go deeper with certain clients or have clients that want a deeper explanation than what you've, you've outlined, but that's okay. You, you just communicate it with the individuals that want to go deeper um, and personalize it to them. I like that idea, right? Because it aligns perfectly with one of the regulators' key objectives, which is to increase transparency. Yeah. So one of the things that I mentioned as an idea before is just using um, like a Google alert, um, but any additional tips to make maybe documentation or, or monitoring easier for, for our listeners? Yeah, I have an idea. Um, in terms of note-taking, you know, one of the best practices that we've seen is that after a client meeting to send a summary of your, your meeting notes via email. And the email can include what was discussed, any action items, and any other pertinent information. And this is just a great way to create a record of your conversations with clients. And that way, it also places some onus on the client to verify um, you know, what was said. 
during that meeting. You know, the it, another uh, use for sending a follow-up email is that, you know, if you have, are going to be making some changes to the client's portfolios, what you can do is you can attach your formalized due diligence process as a way to satisfy some of the disclosure and transparency requirements. Hmm. Now, this, you know, this is this may seem like more work, but uh, you may be able to assign this duty to someone, you know, on your team, like your administrator mm-hmm. or or anyone else that may have some capacity. That's a good point, and and I like the email suggestion that you mentioned as well, especially since you you're most likely sending some form of follow up, um, and then you could take that follow up and you could save it into your CRM and and keep it in your records there too. But I, I think I think we've covered a lot today. Um, I do want to thank you for joining me and, and for the insight that you shared on the podcast. But before we close, any additional thoughts, any additional things that maybe we didn't cover that you want to make sure that that, that you leave the listeners with? Well, I just, you know, I mean, it's been, it's been a pleasure to be be here again uh, and to, uh, to have a chat with you today. But, you know, my closing thought is simply this. You can make CFRs and KYP a win-win for both you and your clients. If you you know, make some additional effort and you apply some of the best practices that we talked about today. For example, by defining and refining your investment strategy and product selection process, you may be able to develop a more appealing offer to new clients. Uh, Or at the very least, all of your additional efforts will ensure that you're producing the best outcomes for your existing clients. And that can generate more referrals for you a scalable, better, repeatable process that allows for potential referrals. That's music to my ears. Um, so I, I appreciate you. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for joining me again, Bruno. And, and if you liked what you heard, please subscribe to our channel, Consulting Insights, on your platform of choice. It is where you can find CI Advisory Consulting's podcast, such as this one, and you'll hear topics that highlight practice management from our side of the advisor consulting team and amazing tax estate financial planning insights from the other side of CI Advisor Consulting, which are the members of TRAP, the uh, tax retirement and estate planning team. So thanks everyone for listening and please remember to tune in for the next episode when we'll be back discussing thoughts and insights for when you're working on your business rather than just in it. This podcast is provided as a general source of information and should not be considered personal, legal, accounting, tax, or investment advice, or construed as an endorsement or recommendation of any entity or security discussed. Investors should seek the advice of professionals prior to implementing any changes to their investment.